This is the MLW Radio Network. Jerry, Jerry's fixing his computer. <laughs> Why are we not surprised? You can't make this up. No, you can, your directions when you sent me a text were, were perfect. I did exactly step by step. I literally clicked this thing, clicked that, and I was done. I called him at tick to so, clock. He was out for a walk. I said, okay, call me when you're back. <laughs> well, I'll go fuck myself. The handicap bathroom stalls. Call him my name already. I can't. I Been can't on the air it. three minutes. I can't take. <laughs> Okay, it's good now. He's he said. gonna go take a. He's gonna go take a walk. Oh shit! My God. Thank God that you're in the uh, you're in the computer IT business because if not, I mean I like to think that I'm kind of okay at this, but not really that good. I got a feeling. Me and Jerry trying to figure this out. It'd be. I a got lot. a feeling in about two minutes I'm gonna be on a Facetime call with Jerry going. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Flip the camera. Let me see your screen. <laughs> are we able? Are you able to? Can I still go on camera? Am I able to do this still? Uh, uh, I think I could turn it on. Like if I, I think I have to go into the settings and turn see. it on. So if I just turn mine on, I wonder if you can see me. It might not work because I think you may be the. Uh, I'd have to figure it out. I don't know. Offhand, you're the here. key master. So. Oh, Gozar the Gozarian. <laughs> That's going to be my next imitation. Mick Foley being uh, Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters. He? Right, but what what was his what was his name in the movie though? Uh, Lewis Tully. He stole the show with that. He was oh, so he good as that character. Oh, nice doggy. Maybe wow. I got a milk bone. <laughs> Welcome to Front Row Material! It's not for everyone! With Jerry Lynn! And I am going to blow you. Excuse me? And Mikey Whiprack! Out of the water. Here's your host, Mike Freeland! 839 on Jerry. Our guest is going to be calling in about one minute, and there's no Lynn. <laughs> I t- he la- I said he goes oh he probably will be I said you don't have no idea. Oh, this is like I have tears. Like you can't see it, but I have tears. It's just, it's that wonderful. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, it's uh, wow. I hear like it sounds like someone's like on their porch outside, like the crickets and the calmness of fall. Well, it is Halloween time. It is. Some big tall fucker in a, ho- in a hockey mask out there stalking at your window. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. Considering I'm on the third floor, that would be pretty impressive. Hey, everybody, this is Ted Annette Fleming. Did <laughs> <laughs> he have like a uh, dry cleaner business and something like. Yeah, small carpet cleaning business, yeah. And then something about he's he able to put away so much in his 401k. Or, <laughs> like, what the hell does that have anything to do? Yeah, Annette is deferring a bonus from a uh, salary bonus from two years ago. <laughs> I think they got about 15000 left Security. on the house at 8%. <laughs> <laughs> so Anybody want to play so Parcheesi? <laughs> God. I gotta work on my I gotta work on my Kermit the Frog because I think that this line. Hey everybody, this is Ted and Ned Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kermit the Frog. <sighs> well, here we are. Life imitating art. Oh fuck. Hold on. Is it him? Yes, Jerry. I knew you were gonna call me. I knew. All right, so I'm on this free conference call. The site came up. Where do I go now? Well, did you go to that joint meeting thing? Um, I'm just on the first page of the thing. Um, well, I gave you a link. 
Let me see if I can find it. Well, it just it's on the very first the home page of it. Collaborate with online meetings. No, oh, see that's why I scroll down. Oh, okay. You see anything that says download? Yep. Click on that. Now I gotta get you to join the meeting. Okay, it says download now and it still hasn't done anything. Oh, that's good. Do it again? Sure. Maybe we'll get lucky. Hey, I see Freeland on his camera. Um three online meetings. But download now it didn't do nothing. Wait. Uh, wait, here comes another window. Join or host? Join. I guess my computer's just slow. Okay, and then it says name. Jerry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, then email address. Okay. Okay. And you can, you can click, check, uh, uh, you can click Remember on the me. Monster Factory. <laughs> you can click on the Remember Me box. Monster <laughs> <laughs> and then hit join yeah I can hear now okay I'll hang up my phone <laughs> I can't take it well Jerry hung up no I'm here you mean he hung, there? But I can't he hear hung you. up the telephone okay well, wait yeah, I can hear you meeting, but can I, you but hear I me hear I wonder if he can hear can us can you hear me um yes Jerry <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> you can't hear me, though. Great. Let me Jerry. call you back. Yes. Are you guys ribbing me? It's not picking up his mic for some reason, I'm guessing. Apparently meeting, not. Okay, but he, muted, he me... muted himself. Uh, oh. Hey, you muted yourself. I can hear you, but you guys can't hear me. Hold on. How the heck do I un... Oh, wait. Wait, here's a... There you go. There. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I'm hanging the fuck up. There we go. Well, Mike, you want to introduce our guest? Yes. Yes, I would very much like to do that. Do you uh, do an open? Jerry? Yes, should we do an open? And begin. And Welcome begin. to another episode. Begin. And begin. Now? Okay, so <sighs> Welcome to another episode. What was wrong with that? What was wrong with that? I said and begin. It was like a 30-second wait. Ready? And begin. I know. Jesus fucking Welcome Christ. Welcome to another and episode of... And begin. <laughs> I cleared... I, I wanted to make sure it sounded crisp go. for our guest. And go. Jesus. I you know. Welcome what? to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I am joined by the ECW legends... Mr. Mikey Whiprick and Jerry Lynn. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Good. Well, sort of. Better, I should say. We're only 10 minutes, well, technically 20 minutes late. But 10 minutes. Well, I mean, that's not bad for us. This is, this is, this is all right. At least it's not an hour like it was once before. I told our guest 840. And we're not canceled. Maybe by then we'd be good. It's 8.51. I mean... 11 minutes late. Did, you know, I wonder if our guests, before I introduce them, actually listened to the hold music that entire time. I don't know if I had it on. It, probably. Okay. Turn, if he had to I like that, it, but up. it's... Well, before we go any further here, let's go ahead and bring our guest in for this week. He is an ECW wrestler. He is known all around. He is Mr. Julio De Niro. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm very good. Thanks for asking. And the accommodations here are fantastic. And the whole music was better than you guys could ever imagine. I loved it. I actually <laughs> learned it. I'm going to actually go play it on drums in about half an hour. Sweet. What See? was it? Well, oh, it's a secret. Uh, I don't know the name of it because it was instrumental, but uh, it was definitely a good song. It was our theme song. It was too. really good. It was. Oh, Matt wrote it. Yeah. We're getting really fucking technical. It reminds here. me of like Fates Warning circa 1996 or something like that. Wow. <laughs> we do our best to keep up with the cutting technology times here on Front Row Material. 
Yeah, we're cutting the technology. Oh. And I'm sure Matt liked Fate's Warning. I'm not even sure what Face Warning is. It's not Face Warning, it's, it's Face. Band. From Connecticut, they're a progressive metal band. They started in the 1980s, early 80s. Oh. They're still going around today. Oh, okay. I, I, said, I saw them on tour, I forget what year it was, the early 2000s with Sabotage. Sounds about right. And then maybe like Queensryche showed up at the end or something. Not this place. There was enough room. <laughs> it was Sabotage. They must have been good. Oh, they were excellent. Well, Mike, you're doing a you're doing a bang up job here. You want to get things going? Let's go. I I, I don't want to interrupt anything. You know, as as everyone is getting to uh, to know everyone here. Uh, kept, I think this is the first the time I actually had a chance to, to speak. It wasn't for five minutes, maybe eleven. What and he said he liked the whole music. So, Jerry, are you eating again? Yes, I don't he care is. tonight. It's getting close to Halloween. We've got a big bowl of candy on the kitchen table. I don't care. I've already had Whoppers, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and Snickers. Now I'm busting out the Butterfinger Bites. Wow. Jerry, you're still, you're still two weeks away. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> the camera could be on you at any point in time, each and every Wednesday I night. I don't have you, a you, camera. You gotta, oh, that camera. No, physique, I'm, right? I'm staying... I'm staying strictly behind the camera. No, I'm I I haven't ate a bunch of candy at all, so this is the first time. Fucking candy. Hulu, let me let me ask you this question here. You know, I've been going over your bio and and you have a, a pretty long history when it comes to wrestling, so you've been just about anywhere and everywhere. Let me ask you this. At least once. I might not have been invited back first... twice, but I've definitely been everywhere at least once. <laughs> but you've been at least once, yes. <laughs> What first got you interested in in wrestling itself? Was there a time? Was there something where you decided, you know what, this is really something I'm interested in? All right, so the truth is, uh, five years old, back in the late 70s, my brother was a wrestling fan, and I was watching Bob Backlund with, uh, who was the other guy, Uh, Superstar Billy Graham, and that feud, and we went to the Capitol Center down in Landover, Maryland, so I was a D.C. area native, and I remember there was a time when Bob Backlund was stuck in a bear hug and my brother was seven years older. I was about five. So he knew kind of what was going on and he, he was laughing at me during the heat and I was so pissed. I ended up punching him in the face like 15 times and like, you know, the seventh row <laughs> raised up a level. My dad had to break it up. He was never bringing us back to wrestling again. We ended up going to basketball games after that, but I don't know something about that time of my life I got hooked and ever since then I knew what I wanted to do and it was ridiculous I'd literally be in first grade and when other kids wanted to be firemen and, and policemen or whatever you want to do when you're in first grade I already knew I wanted to be a wrestler not withstanding the fact that I'm very skinny and didn't have an idea about that yet and I just had not the greatest athletic ability but that also didn't come into my mind till now uh, but at the time I didn't really think it mattered I just knew what I wanted to do so that's kind of how it happened I just remember watching wrestling as a kid and Wanting to do that for a living, no matter how painful it was, I didn't care. I just wanted to do that. So since I was about five years old, I knew what I wanted to do, and that's kind of where it all began. So when you decided, you know, this is this is it, and, you know, the time came around, where did you look into as far as trainings, and who eventually ended up training you? All right, cool. So uh, I went to a few independent wrestling shows in the Maryland area, and uh I saw a show featuring guys that you would know, probably Brian Hardy, I think his name might have been, or his dad maybe. There was another Hardy and, uh, and Dwayne Gill. But those guys ran some shows in the Barry Hardy. area. And Barry Hardy, thank you. His son is Brian Hardy, so I remember that. But, yes, Barry Hardy and Dwayne Gill. They ran some shows. I saw, you know, you'd see, like, Larry Zabisco and maybe it'd be, like, Nikita Koloff and, and they'd be the main event, and then there'd be a lot of indie guys. So I watched – the indie guys. And at the time I had an, an, I was probably like, this was probably like 1992. So I was probably 20 years old. I, I had an eye to know what I thought was smooth and crisp and proper versus, you know, when you're pretty green and young. So, um, I started just seeing different wrestling schools and I, I went to one and there was a guy named Dick Kerkhoff around the NWL. His son had a wrestling school and there was another school that Dwayne Gill had probably by 1994 where I started training. Um, that was called the monster factory of Baltimore. And I went there and it was about 20 minutes from my house North towards Baltimore. And, uh, 
I found that to be a, the, the better school for me. And I just, uh, I saw guys there that I thought were actually like, you know, good enough to work with. And it'd be guys like Ramblin' Rich Myers and Romeo Valentino and Dave DiMeglio. They did a tag team called the, uh, the Goodfellas. And Dwayne was never there because he was apparently on the road doing house shows. But, uh, but, you know, he had the Monster Factory name on there. And I went there and guys like Hack Myers and Axel Rotten um, were kind of like a lot of the head trainers. And they didn't really have head trainers. They just had guys that would go out there and beat the crap out of you while you were at the wrestling school. And they just practiced all their favorite moves on you and you just kind of figured it out from there. And at some point you, you were taught certain things uh, as, as, as you were allowed to be taught. But that was, those were the guys I kind of would say – were my first trainers, Axel Rotten, Hack Myers, and uh, and Ramblin' Rich, and uh, Romeo Valentino, those kind of guys. So it was a, it was a good experience. Question. Oh, here we go. I know. It's so here we go. The first time you saw the Monster Factory, were you able to speak without a lisp? <laughs> Sorry, Mikey. <laughs> I don't understand the question, but uh, I'm sure I was. Okay, yeah. you're better off. He's just making fun of me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I never went to the one in Jersey. That has oh, okay, before. that might you, that might be the, the difference. Baltimore, they literally leased the name, I guess. The guy Larry Sharp, I said, hey, give me fifty bucks a month, and you can call your wrestling school the Monster Factory. And you know, Bam and Bigelow came out of there, so people knew the name. And uh, and I, you know, I'm sure that's how that was. There was no Larry Sharp connection. I think it was just a lease of the name, kind of like when you go to an arena and it changes names every five years. Somebody leased it, so that's how I feel it. So let me ask you this. So being in the ring with, with some of those ECW talent, you said they just kind of beat you up and you kind of figured it out as you went along. Was there any type of advice that you got? Any good sit-down conversations? I mean, outside of the brutal beatings that some of those guys shared with you? <laughs> you know what? It, it, was, it was one of those things where you just showed up as often as you could. And, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say what the advice was. I, I would have to say more along the lines of it was just being taught how to do professional wrestling um, in a fairly safe manner. And there was times when you could see a new student would come in. I always found this to be funny about Axel Rotten. Um, and then I bless his soul, but I just found this to be one of the things I, I never understood, but he was like, it made me laugh. And, and I'll, hopefully it makes you laugh. If it doesn't, it's no big deal. But when he taught me how to take all, so to speak bumps, you know, he taught me certain things that you're supposed to do to protect yourself. Then a new kid came to the school and I was trying to tell him, how to help, help himself not get hurt. And Axel's like, whoa, 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 dude, be quiet. Don't teach him anything. And, and then, so basically the guy was taking his first bump, so to speak, and he was hurting himself pretty bad. He just wasn't maybe doing the perfect inhale, exhale at the right time type of thing. So he was knocking the wind out of himself. And that was basically Axel's way of saying, we don't want him here anyway. So let him just hurt himself into oblivion and let him get the hell out of here. And that's kind of happening. I never showed back up. So, Axel must have liked me enough to like teach me how not to kill myself and not cry every time I, you know, got knocked down. So I was taught that uh, basically that I, and that's, I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for, but that's just what I remember. I remember there was another guy that showed up and for some reason, either it was athleticism or it was attitude or it was look, or it was the parent that came to watch or whatever, man. Uh, you know, he <laughs> didn't want him to know some of the ins and outs of, how to fall without crying every time. So, uh, you know, and I was taught how to fall properly, I guess. So that was one thing I was taught, but advice, it's hard to say. There was not a lot of advice. I, I can't say it wasn't an, it wasn't that type of tutelage. I did go to the monster factory in Georgia about a year later. And I probably learned a lot more about pro wrestling, uh, there than I say, than I did probably at the, at the monster factory, but how know, many fucking monster factories advice, are there? Well, there's, there's a lot of monster factories. Oh, wait a second. Are. What was the other one? The power plant. I'm sorry. Did I say monster factory? Even I'm on a power plant. My fault, dude. Sorry. I hear monster factory. I start to twitch. Yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> he <sure>. does. <laughs> he starts to drool. Um, what is it about the monster factory that freaks you out with the lisp and the drooling and the twitching? What am I missing? Am I just, oh, this is an old story that I'm You're going to have to go into it. You I have no, what, just a little. I have no idea what happened, but one week we were talking about fucking something. And I could not say Monster Factory. I just couldn't say it. I gotcha. That's it. Is it the Monster Factory? Like, <laughs> Julio, here's here's the deal. I don't I don't know if you've got a chance to hear any prayer episodes. There's a lot of heavy man, drinking man, 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 that happens the on this show. You guys did. I actually enjoyed it a lot. But that's the one I've heard. That's one I've listened to. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's a lot of heavy drinking that happens during the recording of this show. So from time to time, slurred words... 
yeah, tripping, falling out of our chairs, dropping the microphone. That's not uncommon. So if that happens tonight, just roll with it. I got you. No, it'll be great. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Maybe I'll be the one tripping and falling and drinking and slipping. So yeah. <laughs> Welcome aboard, kid. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, so kind of, kind of dovetailing that with with this next kind of thing. Speaking it of that, sounded right like even back in that time that it was still fairly considered a, a protected thing, where it wasn't just hey, pay your money and come on in here, we'll train you. It seems like some of those early days of your career, it was very much we're going to run this guy off if we don't feel comfortable with him or kind of a fraternity type of deal with whatever their reasoning for not liking someone, they would choose whether or not that guy would stay. Did you feel like pretty, um, pretty good about being kind of accepted into it? If that makes sense. Yeah, man, it was, it was a good thing. And there was that going on. And there was some of that, even when they did take your money and you, you know, it's dude, it's such a fraternity and it's, it's almost like the military in a lot of ways. So yeah, there was, I felt good about my position at as a total new student, and I also would go to other wrestling schools around just to get more experience. So if I go there three days a week, I might find one an hour in the other direction that was uh, run by Dick Karakoff, which is uh, which is the NWL school. I'd go there and train too. So I was, um, you know, but I also was never sucked into the the uh you know who's popular here and who's not type of thing i i would just go find places to work when i was really young and 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 not worry about how it could be like in other words one wrestling school would have one league that it would feed into right and if you weren't cool in that league you could be pretty much not blackballed but you just wouldn't get booked anywhere else or you wouldn't get booked there so that would be an issue for a lot of guys i just made sure i got booked everywhere i could and didn't worry about what wrestling school league uh was connected to it just kind of worked way around it but yes there was definitely a lot of that kind of I don't know, almost clickish behavior. And also uh, there was some of that, you know, yes, it's protected business. We, we don't feel like this guy's going to be a good fit. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, I probably practiced too a lot, a lot before I even got into my first wrestling school. So I kind of did certain things pretty well. I didn't know enough to, to be a pro, but I did certain things pretty decent right off the bat. Cause I would spend time on my own <laughs> practicing being a professional wrestler in my, in my house um, and with my friends. So, wasn't considered backyard wrestling, but I would definitely would practice certain things. Thought I did them pretty well. So I was lucky enough to, um, had some experience. I wasn't that hard to teach. Let's just leave it that I wasn't, it wasn't like a lot of work. Other students are, you know, two left feet and you know, the brain doesn't always connect. That was pretty easy to teach as far as like how to do the moves. So that answers that. No, no, it does. So were you pretty athletic and involved in different types of sports and whatnot when you were in high school, uh, growing up? Because it's normally something that I've, I've come across that a lot of people who play football, just with footwork and technique, do adapt to wrestling a lot better. Uh, a lot of track stars, just for endurance purposes as well. Were you involved in anything like that prior to going in? I wrestled in high school and before that just to be a professional wrestler. Everything I did was just to be a pro wrestler. So I wasn't a great baseball player. I didn't. I played football and you know up until probably like tenth grade. I wrestled you know through high school, um, but I wasn't a good athlete. I hate to say it. I just didn't have a lot of speed. I didn't have a lot of strength. I'm still genetically ungifted as far as like, you know, I work out six days a week and you would never think I even lift weight. So like, I don't have good genetics as far as muscularity or, or speed or anything like that. But I was going to be a professor and I was able to do that thing, whatever that form of entertainment art and sports is, I was able to make that look at least um, proper, you know, whether I was, you know, good enough to learn a lot of the stuff or be a great performer. I, I wouldn't go that far, but I was able to learn how to do that pretty well. And I, like I said, I practiced it a lot. I practiced it before I even got to my first wrestling school. I was, you know, I was breaking every piece of furniture in my house, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, whatever, drop kicking walls, and you know, breaking beds and jumping off crap. So I was just always, I was always doing it somewhere, um, even before I got to the wrestling school. So it obviously had to be taught all the real basics, but I had all the, I had a lot of weird things already like in my repertoire before I got there. So, you know, but I wasn't a great athlete. I'd love to tell you great stories about my, accolades but no i wasn't that great at that. and i you can even see it in my wrestling i'm like you know i was never that i don't know i never felt like i was the best athlete out there but i liked it so i did it what would you say 
were some of the more difficult things as far as learning different concepts? I mean, obviously you talked about taking bumps. You talked about just different things. Was was ring psychology something that was stressed heavily when it came to your training? Was it something that you just kind of understood already as being a wrestling fan? Was there anybody who said, you know what? Yes, you may have the physicality part down, but there is a performance aspect like you mentioned before. Was there anybody who really had an influence on you as far as, you know, just – facial expressions or how to come out from an entrance or a lot of the intangibles that are a big part of the match that might not necessarily happen, you know, in the ring. Um, I know when I went to the monster factory of Baltimore, there was more about the technique of wrestling and, uh, and you know, you'd get some kind of pointers, but the guys weren't real specific. I can, I can be honest about that after being there from, I'd say five to six months, the, the technique was taught, but the psychology was kind of given to me in a way that I didn't get it very well, so I could admit that. And then I went to the monster – God darn it, I was sitting – went to the power plant in Georgia, did some TV tapings. I was brought down – Bob Hollywood Bob Starr brought down a, a gang of goons that would come down from Baltimore, and we'd just go there and do television tapings. I remember guys like Ming – uh, King Tonga and, and Johnny B. Bad were the first two guys that got the unfortunate reality of having to work with me on a television show uh, back in 1995. But I would go to the power plant to train while other guys would be like, eh, I'm not doing that. I'm going to sleep in. And I was like, I'm going to go to the power plant and train. So I, I cared enough about wrestling to try to learn from those guys. And that's where I learned quickly that I don't know anything about wrestling in as far as the psychology goes. I can remember getting in the ring with one of the guys. Yeah, it didn't hurt anybody and everything looked really good, but... Pistol Pez Watley would be like, dude, why did you do that? And I had no in, un, no answer for him because I didn't think there was a why to anything. I just thought you just do a bunch of crap, and that's what it is. <laughs> and so, so he was probably the first guy that made me think about that kind of thought process as far as, you know, whatever you did in wrestling school, great, but no one taught you anything about, you know, a story or a psychological aspect of a match or the logic that goes involved in it. So, so that's where I probably was first – um, opened my eyes to that. And it might have been taught to me a little bit at the wrestling school, but it was taught in a way that I didn't pick it up. Either I wasn't smart enough to pick it up or the way they taught it to me just didn't make sense or the analogies they used didn't, didn't make sense to me. Or it was just given to you at the finish. The finish analogy was cool, but all the lead up to the finish wasn't that well taught. So I had, I had a lot to learn. Let's leave it at that. So now I'm glad I went to the power plant and at least got a foundation of psychology there, um, which helped a lot, a, a, a real lot. A bunch. Was Buddy Lee Parker down there at the time when you were training yes, at the power plant? Yes, of course plant? he was. Yes, and there was a guy named Mike Winter that was down there. Um, Jody Hamilton was there, one of the assassins. Um, i trying to think if there's anybody else that would – I mean, there was a lot of wrestlers that were there, but those were the main guys, if I, if I remember correctly. I don't even know if Steve Regal was there teaching, but I remember um, – and there might have been um, a few other guys, but those were the main guys. Yeah, Buddy Lee Parker and Mike Winter and Pez Wally. I remember those were the guys, like, you know, pretty much doing the day in, day out. You know, they'd find those dudes that had, like, six foot seven, 260-pound chiseled bodies and, like, make them or try to make them into, like, professional wrestlers, you know. I was just showing up to do TVs. So I was just happy to have a place to go. Do, they had, like, six rings there. So I was just happy to go there and get in a ring with somebody and, like, practice. So I was I was still a year, a year less than a year into the business, so – I was just happy to get any kind of training or any kind of act practice in. That was what I was looking for. What year was that about again? With the power 1995. Plant. I started training in 94, and then by ni- summer of 95, late spring of 95, that's when I went there to uh, do some TV tapings. I remember seeing Mr. JL at a TV taping, and Paul Orndorff said, hey, man, it's a lot like what you're used to doing. It's just faster. I don't remember who you wrestled, but it might have been at the center stage in Atlanta, Georgia. But he says, it's a lot like what you're used to doing. No big deal. He must have been very new there. And he goes, but it's just, we're just doing a lot quicker. Just speed it up. So yep, I don't know if you yeah, remember that. You, I was, I was, do you actually remember Paul Orndorff telling you that? I, no, I don't. But it was about nine. It was sometime in 95 when I started on a nightly deal. Yeah. So when it came to the power plant, obviously you, you completed your training there. Was the power plant structured in a way that – I guess once you committed to it, you were in it for the entire duration or was there any moments where people would be asked to leave or it just wasn't working out or something to that nature? Or was it once you're in, you're in? I never really went to the power plant to train. I literally would go down and do television tapings. And if, if we were in say Atlanta at center stage 
and then Dothan, Alabama the day later to do like a worldwide taping, I would go to the school in the morning and work out and then maybe leave there around 1 p.m. and then drive two hours to the other town that we were doing and then do the TV taping. So I wasn't a student. I was just more like they just let me go there and work out whenever I was in town. So that's kind of how that whole thing was. I wasn't a, I wasn't a full-time power plant student. I was a guy brought in for enhancements, and, and they were nice enough to let me just go there because you're already booked, so you're kind of part of the fraternity. So just come in here and work out if you want. And then they, they, would just, they couldn't help but teach you. When I see people at wrestling schools that are doing something wrong, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is, you know, it's going to draw a red flag in my head and drive me crazy. So I'm going to sh- shut them down and teach them something. So that's kind of what I think was going on. I was just going there to work out. I was just going there to do moves. And they were there to make sure that if I ever did get a chance to have a match that meant something, I'd actually, you know, be decent at it. So that's kind of what I get from that. You know, just kind of looking at your resume here, you you definitely stayed busy as far as working in several different promotions here. So I see IPWA, MEWF, IPWA, PCW, um, MCW, which obviously Maryland Championship Wrestling. D- did you have a favorite area that you liked working when you first kind of broke into the business? Was there a territory that you liked the promoter, you liked the direction of the company? So I think the most fun place to work, um, I would say the most fun place to work in the beginning, there was, uh, it was Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling, and that's where you, I met guys like Edge and Christian and, and Simon Diamond and Ace Darling and, 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 uh, and, and who was the other guy? Don Juan Montoya and uh, the other guys, Reckless Youth, and a handful of guys that I consider to be, like, talented guys. So that was a fun place to work. There was a place called IPW, and there was another place um, that Dick uh, – what's his name? I'm going to get it wrong. Jim Kettner ran in, in Delaware. It was probably ECWA. Those were a lot of fun. And then that was, like, 96, 97. And then somewhere along the way, there was Mid-Atlantic – Mid-Eastern Wrestling Federation – had a split with Axel and Danny Whiprick and they, or not Danny Whiprick, I'm sorry, uh, Dan McDevitt, and they started a league called Maryland Championship Wrestling. And then that was really like a fun place to work because uh, I met a lot of good guys there and had a fun with guys like Joey Matthews and Christian York and Jimmy Cicero. And they just had a cool group of guys. And we were kind of like, that was like the homegrown fed. I'd go there and train in the evenings at a place called Bone Breakers up the street from my house, maybe half an hour. And they had their own wrestling school and they had their own wrestling organization and they were trying to get really out from under all the other like indie promotions and have like almost like a territory. So they were running a lot of shows. So that was, I have to say Maryland championship wrestling was a lot of fun, like in 98 and 99. I have to say if I had to pick one out of that whole group of the early stuff. So it seems like that was that kind of your main hub right there. Excuse me. Was in the, the Northeast where you spent a lot of your time. Pretty much. I was in Maryland. So everything from Virginia to Ohio to Pennsylvania to, you know, Jersey and, and New York and, you know, that type of state, that was pretty much it. I mean, anywhere I could get to within six hours, I was going to, I would get there, you know, whether it was Cleveland was a six hour drive, Pittsburgh was a four hour drive, you know, Allentown might've been, you know, a two and a half hour drive, three hour drive, Philly, wherever, you know, anywhere along New Jersey, I could get to anywhere within three or four hours. So, I was, and then of course Maryland was pretty convenient for me since I lived down there. So there was, there was, I know I did some North Carolina wrestling. You see guys like the Hardy Boys and dudes like that down there. Um, a lot of those guys were down in Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, C.W. Anderson and uh, the Dups, those kind of guys that were down there. So that was, a, that was, it would be all within six hours. I pretty much would make the trip. I'm not saying I wouldn't go more than six, but that was usually my cutoff would be anywhere from that area. The Dups. I, I remember when they, when, they, when they broke. <laughs> they were great, dude. Murray Haber and his other buddy that I don't know, had some issue with uh, Jerry Lawler's wife at the time. I forget his name, but they were, they were a cool group of guys, man. You guys know that from ECW. Yeah, I remember they broke Kid Cash's jaw. Oh, yeah, he had it wired shut. I think Cass- after, two weeks, he, after two weeks, he couldn't take it anymore, and he'd cut the wires. He had his jaw wired shut, and I kept ribbing him. I said, hey, who, what happened? He goes, <laughs> I said, "What? Well, who broke your jaw?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! You do the answer, and you kept asking them. You're all yeah. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Which stuff was it? <laughs> <laughs> was it Jack? You're working with the same question. I don't know. It's not what exactly what exactly is the process of getting your your jaw wired shut like how is that 
how does that work? So is there like an appliance that's, you know, put, put around, around your face? Prevents you from man. opening I your mouth? Or... That's like, is it sewed inside of your mouth? I can't even think about it. It's got to be sewed inside the I mouth. I don't even know. Let's not hopefully find out, but yeah, it sounds terrible. Yeah. That sounds god-awful horrible. It does. <laughs> we'll, have get, well, we'll have to get Dave on and ask him. Yeah. <laughs> How many different dubs were there? At least two. I would say there was at least three. What were their I names? Don't know what I, I don't, don't remember. What are their names, Mike? Do you remember? I don't. No. Jacked Bowed up, up, I think, it was, was one of them. up, right? When they're jacked up and bowed up? I, I think so. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Fucked up? Yeah. <laughs> that would be on the indie circuit. You just get like a bunch of teammates and just name them crazy shit, you know? This is ECW, too. Yeah, gimmicked up. So as, as we're going down here, you know, through your career, you, you obviously get an opportunity to work in the WWF in the late 90s. How did that all come about? Who reached out to you? And what was your experience like? Too funny. I would say the first guy that got me booked for WWF was probably Tom Brandy. Uh, he must have been over there doing South and Deer or something. And uh, he's like, hey, man, we got a chance to do some TVs. And, and honestly, the first one I remember doing for them was in 1996 at State College. And I actually wrestled Triple H when he was still doing the Hunter Hearst Helmsley gimmick where he was still bowing and all that stuff. And then he was in a feud with Kurt Hennig. And he used to come out with like a model. They'd book up a couple models to come out with him uh, in whatever town they were in. Yep. And Kurt Henning was doing commentary and he took the model by the hand and like started taking her away from the ringside area. And that gave me, like I had no business being there in 1996, to be totally but it gave me a chance to actually, you know, get outside of the ring after getting pummeled and like punch him in the head a bunch of times, roll him into the ring, come off the top rope, get a two and a half count and then whatever. He probably just, you know, barrel threw me and hit me with his finisher and then went back to dealing with him. But it was, uh, for me, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, so that was my first attempt at working for them. And that was with, uh, I think Tom Brandy got me booked. And then I believe later it would be Jim Cornette who was calling all the, uh, the enhancement guys. And he would just book me all the time. He was like, all right, you're going to be in Philly and you're going to be in Baltimore. Then next week you're going to be in, let's call it Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And the following week, I want to know if you can make it to New Haven and Boston and Richmond the following, and he would just give you like eight dates within like a month of each other. So as long as I could get there, I would pretty much just do the shows. And most of the time you weren't really used. Uh, and luckily I wrestled Rikishi before he was doing that ass thing in the corner. So his finisher used to be like the super kick. And I was so happy. I was so happy that he'd get me with that move. And then like a week later he was doing whatever that shit was called where your ass is shoved between his butt cheeks. And I was just lucky enough to work him before that became a thing. And I just, I, oh, and there's even like a, you know, a trading card of him kicking me in the face somewhere from like 1998. And all I can do is be thankful that that wasn't like the spot. Like he had not put you in the corner yet and rubbed his ass all over your face. Cause no matter how unreal wrestling is, there's nothing unreal about that. <laughs> yeah. That, that in itself has to be one of the few things I've seen one wrestler do to another one that maybe not necessarily pain, but but pain psychologically, emotionally. I mean, you, you're going to go see a therapist when you're when you're done with that match. That's that's pretty fucked up, dude. How how much soap are you going to use on your face when you go back and shower? I can't even imagine when that would shower would never end. I'd just be like, people, oh, it'd be never ending. I'd have to shave twice. <laughs> oh god. There was, uh, I'm trying to remember who did it. I, I want to say it was one of uh, one of Conrad's, oh Jesus, one of Conrad's uh, podcasts, one of the many 13, 14 that he has. But uh, there was something to the, ex- <laughs> there was some story that came out, speaking of, of bigger people, that Yokozuna actually um, needed to have someone help him with his... Uh, restroom obligations because he was so large. So I don't know if that ever happened. I don't think Rikishi ever got near what Yokozuna was, but he was a big boy 
Very, very big. Yeah, he was big. I got I, the one thing I remember about Ryokozuna and everyone called him Rodney was that if he did an indie show in your area, he would hang out at the hotel. And if you were going to visit him, because everyone would smoke or whatever they would do and they'd hang out, he would invite everybody over to his room. So the guys would hang out with him. He was a legend. So everyone's like, all the young guys were like, really want to hang out with him. But you couldn't get to his room if you didn't bring him. You'd have to call up to the room, find a guy that's already in there, and then it'd be like, if you want to hang out, you got to go to the fast food restaurant and you got to pick up a bunch of stuff and it would just be like you know it'd be an extra large big gulp type thing and it'd be like you know two big macs and two large fries and so you literally that was your entrance fee to get to his room to hang out with him was just you had to bring him food and he literally could eat like all the time it was literally it was never ending he could just eat all the time so um he probably had like the andre the giant situation probably where he would probably use a, a bathtub or something that's what i'd imagine well, there was a story that Mr. Fuji actually in hotel rooms would put down uh, like newspaper. I almost said parchment paper, but that, w- that wouldn't make any sense. Um, and then he would just he would just go, and then Fuji would uh, would help clean things up. Which you know what that's that's pretty dedication. I mean, you know what I mean when you're traveling with somebody. It's one thing to be friends with with another person, but to to go to that extra mile. Would you agree? I don't know if, if there's many people who would agree to do that. Freeland, I'm never wiping your ass. I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I already know the two of you, no matter what happens. It- Mikey, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, you would you just find another job, Mikey. That's all. You are like, all right, whatever, dude. I'm gonna go do something else for a living. I'm not that's not written in the contract and I'm not making it part of my life life, life work, but other guys are different, I guess. I'm tapping the ass. In addition to Rikishi, you you worked with the Bulldog, Headbangers, uh Val Venus. So you really did there was a litany of people that you got a chance to work with during your time up there. Do you feel like at that point in your career, after having worked so many times with them, you felt like, you know what, I, I'm at a good place at this point? Like, I feel like I've taken myself as far as I can go as far as the learning process? Or did you, are you one of those people who think, you know what, the learning process doesn't ever really stop? Yeah, it never ends. I'm learning today, even. That's sad enough as it is. I got a wrestling show next weekend, and I go to the wrestling school up the street, and those guys are still teaching me things I didn't either, either forgot or wasn't taught somewhere. So, I mean, there's always learning to go. So I never felt that way, but I did feel like there was no chance that I was ever going to get a job with them at some point. You know, you realize, all right, these guys have seen me wrestle 50 times. I've wrestled all their guys. I've had what I would consider, okay, you know, either house show matches or dark matches or TV matches. You realize they're just not going to put you on. They even sent me like the, the Funkin' Dojo in 1999. So that was like, you know, Dory Funk is there and Tom Pritchard is there. You spend a week there and you, you work out with all those guys. You do promos, all that kind of stuff. So when that didn't lead to anything, you're like, all right. So, you know, that's kind of kind of not going to happen. So that's kind of, you know, I just kind of started looking elsewhere at that point. I did everything I could to get a job there, but it just wasn't, didn't turn out uh, in my favor. So obviously I did something wrong. It's probably, probably my promos weren't that great. You know, I probably didn't have like, you know, a way to, you know, get my character over in a way that they thought was going to be marketable. So that's what I think. It wasn't the wrestling part of it. I could do all the spots and all the moves and memorize all that nonsense and make it look real and whatever. I could do all that great, but sometimes it's more than that. And it's also when I was there, they were at their height. They had the rock and Austin. They had all these, everybody was over. You know what I mean? The whole place was on fire. You walk out and the whole place was just like lit and everything sold out. So I was there like in the late nineties. So it was just, when they were at their peak, they didn't need me. I was just another guy. The Hardys were there, and Edge and Christian were there, and the Dudleys were there. I mean, everybody was there. It's like the whole place was on. You know how it was back in those days. It was just like everybody that walked out, there was a pop for everybody. It didn't matter who it was. So I was just there at a time when I thought, you know, they just they don't need anybody else. They got everybody. So we we come to your stint, your time in ECW. Um, who reached out to you when it came to that? Or was it something that you had always kind of been seeking out or how did that all, what was the, how did that all come to fruition as far as you working there? I think they did a show in Washington, DC at a place called the nation. It was, uh, it was in my hometown. I lived literally like, you know, outside of Washington, DC, my neck, my town was silver spring. Washington, DC was the bordering, you know, city. So it was next door. So I went there and I don't remember how I got the booking, but somebody, I was friends with like Simon Diamond and Steve Carino. Some one of those guys must have been nice enough to say, hey, man, uh, do you want to come down and, and work tonight or come down at least and hang out or whatever? So you bring your gear. 
And then I remember working with uh, Grimes. Uh, I can't remember his first name. I want to say Vic, but it could be totally off. But I know his gimmick was he he wrestled New Jack a bunch. I know that. And uh, I wrestled him the first night. And then there was another yeah, show. Yeah, it is, it is Vic. To, according to, and, according uh, and to DeVito and Angel, his name was Shit Grimes. <laughs> Shit <laughs> Grimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and exactly. And then, uh, and then we did a show in, I want to say it was, and Mikey, you'll know the name of the place better than me, but it was in either Virginia Beach, and it was, it wasn't the showboat, but it was like some kind of club where you can go watch bands play, but they had a, they, it was over there. And I remember wrestling somebody over there as well, and, and then it was like an open door. Like Tommy Dream was like, hey, whenever you want to come in, we'll make room for you type of thing. So I just kind of waited. That was probably like, I would say early, early 2000. And I would say within the, by the summer of 2000, Joey Matthews and Christian York were ready to do the shows and they were like my local guys. So I was ready to tour with them and we would just make the trips and get to wherever we had to go, whether it was Milwaukee or Boston or wherever. We just were Florida. I remember we went to like Fort Lauderdale. So we would just, I just needed to find a couple of guys that could travel with me. And then they were, they were my, my guys. So they luckily were, were booked as well. And uh, we, we, we started making the ECW uh, weekend trips and, it was a lot of fun. It was probably my favorite experience in all of wrestling. So I definitely enjoyed that a lot. Learned a lot there, and it was a lot of fun. That was definitely my favorite you know, experience. How many names did you have? I had Julio Sanchez. I was, right. hot, I was Julio Hot Stuff Sanchez. I did one called Julio S. Fantastico because we did a show called The uh, Heroes of Wrestling, and I didn't want to be Julio Sanchez for that for some weird reason. Like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to make it more flashy. So then I did Julio Fantastico for a while. And then I think I started at ECW doing Julio Fantastico, but then I, they started teaming up with Easy Money. And I was like, let's just change it to Julio De Niro because he's money, I'm money, and we got Confederate currency, Chris Hamrick, and then we had uh, – Oh, we had the lovely manager. We had the, the young lady who uh, who worked with somebody else before us, and they said you guys can have her. I forget who. She, what's her name, guys? Come on, she was great. What was her name? No one remembers. No. <laughs> she had the big freaking breasts. Oh my god! Well, that narrows really it down to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> she had really. Thin who legs. was she with? She, probably, she lived in Jersey. I remember that, and she was really. Oh my god! And it wasn't Francine, of course. Um, Someone help. Uh, digging a hole. Anyway, I'm trying so to think I think when, when, who is she with? Said, when you said young lady, you didn't mean young lady, did you? <laughs> she was she wasn't an old lady. <laughs> she was older than okay, me. Okay, you're you, okay, you're not talking. Uh, what the hell is her name? She names, was oh, man. she was Big what? Dick's ex wife. All right. Oh. Uh Electra. You nailed it. And I remember she was with somebody else, oh, Doring and Roadkill, before she got to us. And for some reason, she was known for not remembering anything, anytime. And luckily, we had Hamrick at ringside. He could always be like, this is your time to do this. And we'd get her. And she'd do it. And she'd, and it was, we didn't have Hamrick at ringside. If it wasn't like a, two people in the ring and two people ringside, we probably would have had like a lot of debacles. But luckily, like he was able to like Iggy her at the right time to do the right thing at the and we get through everything kind of pretty unscathed. So, uh, well, all the blood was rushing to her boobs, so she's a little lightheaded. Yeah, she just, you know, oh, she wasn't God. there for Oh, jeez. So, yeah. But anyways, and I had some other wrestling names too, whatever, but I uh, did some Sheik Ali Amin gimmick, and I just did a bunch of crap, dude. I just wanted, I just wanted to wrestle. I didn't really care. You need a Sheik? Here, I got a kafia and I'd bring some outfit, and I'd wear Sabu-esque pants and just do whatever I needed to do to get booked because I was just hungry to wrestle. I didn't care where I wrestled, who I wrestled at. It didn't matter. Did, did I work with you in TNA? Yeah, you came in. We did everybody at TNA. All the old ECW guys came in. It was you and Falls Mahoney. We probably had, we had Sabu. We had uh, Sandman probably came in. We had Terry Funk come in. I don't remember each individual matchup, like who we wrestled and who was in the tag team, but I'm sure we brought everybody. Everybody was brought in to make us look cool for a while because we were a few with Raven. And that was the, uh, that was, you definitely came in for at least one of those, you know. And it was like, we did, we just ran through a bunch of guys for a while doing that. And then eventually, um, CM Punk got let go and then I got let go. So there goes that whole thing. But it was fun while it lasted. I got there. So they kept asking me and I kept saying, no, we'll pay you this. Nope. And they call me a week later. They'd offer the, they keep offering more money. And wow, finally I said, smart. If, if, if I, okay, I'll do it. And I got there. I wasn't getting on the first plane, so I was not getting to Nashville at fucking ten o'clock in the morning. So I didn't. I didn't get it. I didn't. I didn't get in until God, it was like 
6.15. Perfect. <laughs> and Jeff Jarrett goes, Mikey, I didn't think you were coming. I go, I didn't either. <laughs> and it, was, it just felt like, for me, <laughs> for me, it felt like WCW, and I go, oh, I can't deal with this. I just can't. Oh, my God. And I remember had, that, I'm sure. <laughs> I remember I, I got dressed. <laughs> I got dressed in the cab on the way there, and Hack called me. Goes, yo, you're gonna do this, then you're gonna do this. When are you gonna get here? I said, I don't know, about 15 minutes. All right, we're going on like right away. I said, okay. So as soon as I walked in the building, I said hi to everybody. I saw Jeff, and I walked, and we, they didn't even bring us through the curtain. I had to come through the crowd, or some shit. Oh, nice. But I wasn't there very long. Was that at the asylum down in uh, the fairgrounds in Nashville? Yeah. Yeah. The, te- the cab driver got lost. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, it was on January 28th of 2004, you and CM Punk defeated the Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck. Well, Mikey, I appreciate everything you did for me, buddy. That's nice of you. But uh, yeah, that was our thing back then. We were running through all these ECW superstars. Uh, until I think we wrestled like Sabu and Raven, and we might have hit our, we might have hit the brick wall right then and there. There might have been a a spot where we ended up taking the pin, and then that was the end of us. We were let go. I think he had a little altercation at catering with uh, one of the Hearts. It wasn't Davy Boy Smith Jr., but it was the other Heart. Teddy. Teddy Hart. Yeah, him and him and Phil Brooks had some kind of altercation. I wasn't even around. And that was the end of us. We were let go. I think there was some kind of a violent altercation at catering. And that was the end of us. We were just, like, sent home forever. And I was like, hey, we won, like, 15 matches in a row. We were on top for 15 weeks. We got beat, and then we're done, sent home. I was like, damn, that sucked. But it worked out all right. It was all right. Was that take much. when they had catering at the White Trash Cafe? Yes, you remember that? You had, like, a little sticker. It was, like, a little – like it wasn't even a sticker. It was, like, somebody, like, printed up a bunch of – loser tickets and they'd cut them in half and cut them and you just take them and they would go there and get like eight bucks worth of food or something for free. Yep. <laughs> it was totally yep. the white trash cafe. <laughs> was it down the, street? the food it was, was in the building. It was down the street and I don't know what they did when we weren't around. Like what they do seven, six other days of the week? Did they feed people or was it just they showed up when we showed up? I didn't understand that whole concept mm-hmm. but that was it. I thought maybe they did catering. You, you guys would leave? They put They put the food in the freezer? You guys would come back, they'd heat it up. It was the same food. Yep, the same food. <laughs> the food wasn't bad, though. No, it wasn't bad. I mean, you, when you're hungry, you're hungry. You know wrestling is. You know, we're all, none of us are making a lot of money. We're all, like, freaking happy just to find a place to eat, and it's close, and you don't have to go anywhere. So we would walk down the street. Remember, it was, like, down the street and around to the right, and there would be some place. Like, you know. But, yeah, the White Trash Cafe. Very good, Jerry. Kind of circling back real quick here to ECW itself, Three things kind of pop up into my mind. What is the the craziest thing that you might have come across during your time at ECW? What was your interactions with Paul? And uh, what was your interpretation of the fans that were in ECW? All right. So that's a good one. So let's go with the craziest thing I ever encountered. I want to say the craziest thing I ever encountered was the Sandman in his heyday. Because we had to travel with him near one of the last weekends. And um, that guy could party beyond anybody else I've ever met. And he actually had a method to how he was going to reach his Shangri-La. And I was in the same car as him traveling from, let's call it Memphis to Missouri. It's like the last weekend they ever did a show. Um, and we may, not have, we may just have to, we had to cross over the Mississippi River to get to wherever the hell we were going. It was a crazy trip. Uh, it was the furthest I've ever gone to a wrestling show um, in a car. But I just remember Sandman was just pretty, uh, pretty intense with his, uh, his, fun and how he reached his, his happiness. And I just remember that was just, it's an experience I still remember very vividly today. Um, Cause I've dabbled with a lot of stuff, but I never could dabble with as many things and as many different configurations to get to a certain place. And then you finally hit his Shangri-La and, and I was happy for him. It was definitely an interesting experience. Um, interactions with Paul, very few. He just had a smile on his face and, you know, I had Tommy Dreamer to talk to and, and, and Paul was kind of like, you knew he, who he was, you knew what he did, but he didn't really interact with you very often, you know? I mean, I just don't remember having a lot. So I don't have any great stories of, you know, Paul. I do have a Paul story for WWE, which is pretty funny, um, which kind of will, everyone who knows him will be like, oh, that sounds like him. I remember seeing him at a WWE TV taping probably in 2002. So ECW was 
going to come back, not come back? Are we going to get a, a, a big purchasing guy to come in and like help us pay our old bills and get back on TV and all that stuff? So eventually he ended up in WWE. So we knew the answer to that wasn't that. So, uh, but I saw him at a TV taping, probably 2003-ish, 2002-ish. And I said, hey, man, Matt Hardy's got this thing going on where he's got some, some minions. And I wanted to be a minion just to get a job. I just needed a, I just wanted a full-time job in wrestling. So, and he goes, you know what? Dad, you're too good for that. He goes, you know what, Julio? You're just too good for that kind of job. You could be a big star in the industry. So, you know what? Let's, don't even think about doing something like that. So, basically, he just told me, you know, go screw yourself. You're not going to, you know, work here and do, like, you know, be on Matt's team. Um, that was the more of interaction I had with him there than I even had in ECW. And then the fans in ECW, I remember they were vocal. And I remember once we met some girls at, in Fort Lauderdale at a beach. We invited them to the show. They got to the show late. I remember being in the ring when they showed up to the show. And I remember the fans started chanting, show your tits, show your tits, show your tits to them as they were walking <laughs> to their seats. And I just remember thinking, like, that's the, those girls would never even think about finding us after the show again because they were totally, in their heads, humiliated. Because even though ECW fans are pretty funny, and to me, I get it, but they were like, what's happening? They totally were eyeballed and viewed upon by all the fans in the building and then 98% men. And they just found those two girls trying to find their seat and they just chanted them for, it must've been five minutes straight. And it was just, you know, that's what I do remember with the fans that they were, they were pretty raunchy and hilarious at the same time. So if you're a guy, they were great. I'm sure those women were like mortified. They probably didn't even stay for the whole show. They were probably like, we got to get out of here, but it was funny. Wow. Wow. Well, so you're kind of putting a, a bow tie on all this. So what are you up to these days? And how can people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? Are you on social media? Yeah, I do a little Twitter under the Julio De Niro, um, but I'm not a I'm not a big social media guy. I, I just did it to uh, because I, I was asked by uh, the guys who run Cre- Creative Pro Wrestling, who's going to have a show next weekend. Um, if I was on social media and I kind of felt terrible that I wasn't I was like, ah, you know, not really, you know, so I got on just to do, you know, a real quick tweet and I probably, you know, I don't really spend any time on there. I haven't, you know, I don't really do that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't really care about that. So I don't even have Facebook. I don't, none of my friends can find me unless they call me directly. Um, but, uh, as far as that goes, yeah, I'm actually training six days a week and I'm, I'm going to wrestling school at least a couple times a week and I'm getting ready for some event they have called Hardcore Halloween. And it's going to be, uh, Saturday, October 19th, 2019. And it's basically going to be, for anybody that's in the Long Island, New York City area, it's going to be at the Knights of Columbus. So we're going to have a huge turnout. I'm sure I'm going to be working the marks way at the top of the stands. And it's going to be at 76 Hempstead Avenue, Lynbrook, New York. And it's going to be uh, an 8 o'clock bell time. And it's going to be pretty fun for me. I'm going to team up with Just Incredible, Sandman, Little Guido. And we're going to team up with a local guy from Creative Pro Wrestling. His name is the CPA. And we're going to take on a couple guys that they have named uh, Carlo Weiss, Evil Kip. And they have a faction called Spite. And there's a guy named Johnny Clash, Liam Davis, and Mike Anthony. All those guys are pretty good from what I've uh, seen and I think um, they're going to be in for a rude awakening, though, because I feel like their, their, their wrestling days are probably pretty mild compared to what they're going to get when they uh, get in the ring with us. I think we're going to probably, you know, beat them to a pulp. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I think seeing Sandman is going to be great. And I think Little Guido is going to be a lot of fun to work with again. And Just Incredible is always awesome. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's what I'm doing next. I don't know if I'm going to work after that. Probably the first time I've wrestled in about six years. So I don't know if I'll get back into it. I'm raising three kids, and I have a full-time job, so I'm pretty, pretty busy uh, finding six days a week to work out and train and, and uh, you know, get ready for this. It's um, been pretty much a challenge, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll see. Well, that's awesome. We'll go ahead and we'll make sure we promote that on our Twitter page and let everybody in the area know where to go, where it's going to be at, and how for them to go ahead and get tickets for that. That sounds like a pretty fun event. Yeah, it should be fun. Yo. Julio, where? <laughs> I really can't wait to see Zaman. I haven't seen him in so long, dude. I, I can't wait. He's really, he's really awesome. I used to hang out with him at TNA, too. He was a lot of fun. Great guy. Him and Jim Mitchell. Ah, yes. Um, did you and I wrestle on a very small indie show? Yeah, somewhere in Ohio, probably. And I actually have it on DVD believe it or not, and uh, it was actually a really fun match, and I remember wrestling you, yes, it was probably, I'm going to say Ohio, could have been Pennsylvania, 
We definitely wrestled on a show together. I don't even know what league it was. I can't tell you what promoter it was. It was probably like 2004. Do you know how many people it was? Because I was trying to think. No, it was it like was pretty dark, man. It was pretty dark. And it wasn't a small building. It was. It could have been a you know. It could have been a decent venue, but I can't remember. I have the DVD, and I actually watched it fairly recently because I, since I had to get back into the ring for this match, I've been watching some of my old stuff because I don't remember anything. I really don't remember any. I don't remember any of my signature moves and stuff. So I was watching a bunch of DVDs recently just to get warmed up, just so I can go to the wrestling school down the street and, and remember some of my moves in case I do get a chance to do something during the ten man tag team match. Um, I'd you know be able to do some of my crap, so to speak. But I. So I did watch that. It was a lot of fun. I can't remember who we wrestled for, though. Well, okay. Well, good. Well, as long as you had fun. But I, I knew we wrestled each other, and I could not remember for the life of me where it was, though. I'm going to guess it was Ohio or Pennsylvania. That's, that's my feeling. I can't, and like I said, there's no way to see. There's no background that has, like, the three letters of the wrestling organization or any of that stuff, so it's really hard to tell. But it, and it was dark, so I can't tell you people were in the building. It looked like a decent-sized venue, though. I remember that, and uh, I remember watching the match, and, you know, just remember, you did a lot of stuff, Jerry. You were definitely uh, a machine, and I was just hang- I was hanging on to your life, is all i got to say. I was, like, just hanging on, trying to remember half the crap and make it look pretty good, and it did look pretty good from what I saw. And the the DVD start- was kind of low-budget, though, because I Wait. lost the finish. The finish did never you start with Shade Wrestling? Yeah, I was the biggest heel in the territory, and I still chain wrestled. Oh my god! I was you know what I loved? I loved that you shaved your hair on your stomach in the shape of abs. Oh yeah, and I still do that. I, it just, if anyone cares, and I know there's people in Alaska with this, they're not going to make the trip to Long Island. But yes, I will shave in my abs just for anybody that has any remembrance of that whole thing. And I remember Joey Styles getting yelled at by Tommy Dreamer because. Joy was pointing out that I shaved my abs in on ECW TV when we were doing TNN back then, the national network. And Tommy's like, dude, we don't have any guys with great bodies here. And he shaved his abs in, and you're pointing out that they're shaved in. Just pretend they're real because we got to pretend like we have good bodied dudes in our promotion. And I felt bad for Joey because he was just making, <laughs> trying to make me look like a heel. He was doing his job. Like, that freaking asshole shaves his abs in. And Tommy's yelling at him going, dude, we don't have anybody that looks like a professional wrestler. Well, not really, but you know what I'm saying? He was like, none of our guys look shredded. This guy doesn't look shredded, but he fakes it, and you can't tell on TV, and you're pointing it out. Right. Well, it's like the movie 300. Wow. They all had their abs painted on. Right, exactly. And, and the giant Gonzalez had his abs painted on, too. <laughs> oh, I, I did find out where you guys did cross paths. Um, no way. What are you just doing? Really? It was, You're hilarious, dude. I love it, Mike. I know. It's a rain man. I have uh, Octo- October October 6th of 2002. It was in NEPW. Uh, Hula, you defeated Jerry Lynn to retain the title. Where was the show? What city? Uh, let me let me let me get a little further here. NEPW was a guy named Eddie I, I, Edwards. You probably don't remember him, Jerry, but it was Eddie Edwards. He ran. He was a little short guy. He probably wore a little suit. Ran around. It was near Cleveland, and I can't remember the town, but it was like east of Cleveland somewhere. No, west of Cleveland a little bit. Huh. I mean, Northeast pro huh. wrestling or something like that. Or new era. It was new era pro wrestling. I remember that. I that sounds familiar. New era. Yeah, new era. Eddie Edwards was the promoter, and I had a feeling it was him in Ohio, but I couldn't guarantee it. Yeah, I'm trying to find the uh, trying to find the city. I don't have that. Off the top of my head, I went by the information you gave me, and I'll come up with it. But uh, but you got one over Jerry Lynn. That's that's impressive. Yeah, that's amazing. I can say, I, all I can say is thanks because that's ridiculous. It's unnecessary. It's oh, who hasn't? Who hasn't? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. Pin <laughs> me, pay me. Hey, Mike, are you are you attached to Major League Wrestling by any chance? Uh, with MLW, yeah, all three of us are. I wrestled them. If you ever get any information, just send it my way. King of Kings, December 20, 2002, Fort Lauderdale. We did a um, tag team tournament, and it was the first round. It was Hot Commodity versus Nosawa and Masada. We actually won the first round, and we were never invited back to the second round. So I never found out who won the tag team titles for the first inaugural uh, MLW Tag Team Championship, and we were never brought back. So we actually were... 
we, we defeated them in our match. And I have a feeling Easy Money must have done something somewhere, somehow, during that whole event to cause Court Bauer to disavow us as a you know, legitimate tag team in his promotion. So I never found out what that was. If you ever get a chance to find out what caused us to never be brought back, I just want to know out of my own, for my own purposes. I have no answer to that question, and I have no way to reach court. But, um, but I always found that to be a little odd, that we were put over, we beat these two guys, and we were not allowed to fight for the second round. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. Now, that was in 04, correct? Actually, I'm going to tell you, it was actually 2002, December 20th, 2002, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It was December 20th. Oh, yeah, man. I have a DVD sitting in my hand. King of Kings. Satoshi Kojima versus Vampiro. That must have been the Vampiro. That must have been the main event. They had, they had another match. Dusty Rhodes versus Terry Funk versus Steve Carino. Jerry Lynn, you wrestled Mike Awesome. Uh-huh. Sabu took on LaParca. Los Maximos came in from Brooklyn to take on Simon Diamond and C.W. Anderson. Steve Williams and P.J. Friedman, um, not to be um, confused with anybody else's work in these days, versus Mike Sanders and Jimmy Yang. And they also had Chris Daniels versus Super wow, Crazy Mike Sanders. Wago Guerrero. <laughs> so it was a pretty – I haven't watched this DVD, but it was, it was like a pretty <laughs> – I'm not joking. I'm just saying, but I, it seems like a pretty <laughs> stacked program. So, uh. oh wow, yeah, no, no. I I'm seeing all of the stuff that you just mentioned before. Um, shoot, so I could go. I, I don't. I'll find that information. You can never find out who won the tournament in the end, and 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 if they ever even mentioned, you know, you know, they probably just skipped over our bracket or whatever. It was like, yeah, bracket's gone. <laughs> So I'm just wondering whatever happened to us. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I have a feeling Easy Money. I think Easy Money called some crap. So he did something stupid somewhere. I could be wrong, but I just have a feeling he probably angered somebody in the back or, you know, whatever. Did something crazy that caused us to not be brought back. But if it was me, then maybe I'll learn a lesson or something. Nice. Dude, we had a lot of fun. Is there any chance that we might be able to twist your arm and have you come on back and tell some more stories? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we can do that. That'd be awesome. I'd be more entertaining next time, probably. <laughs> no, you did, you did great, dude. We really appreciate it. We know we took a little bit more time than than uh, out of your evening than we thought, but you know what? We had a lot of fun. Um, guys, any other final questions, comments? I think that's about it. My memory's pretty foggy. He brought back a few stories I didn't remember. Well, I'm glad I could help you with that. And good luck with everything. I need all the help I can get. New promotion. So good luck with the, <laughs> oh. new, uh, the new promotion, Jerry. I hope it goes really well for you, and I hope they uh, succeed very well. Well, thank you very much. I hope so, too. And, and, and one more time, what was that uh, the training facility? They had, like, several chains around the country. What was that? It was the... Uh, <laughs> it was, there was the uh, Monster Factory of Baltimore. I'm still too sober. Hey, Monster Factory! <laughs> Where's my... Jerry, do, do your six... St- do your do your six uh, six sides your of steel. Six sides of steel. Say, did you see the six sides of steel? It was sensational. <laughs> that was Alex Shelley. He was hilarious. We'd try and carry on conversations wow. with nothing but s words. It was hard. He was good at it. Hey Jerry, question for you, man. Who are you been listening to in the metal world? I know you were a major metalhead when I was a major metalhead. So I'm just trying to think of who you got the, who you've gotten into in the last. Two weeks, two years, two days. Who's cool? Who's awesome? Uh, Who do I, I not know that I should know about? I really haven't listened to a lot lately. Probably for, you know... Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. think. I think I just looked up some stuff recently. It was probably All Out War and Gojira. Oh, yeah, Gojira. Yes, the French guys. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. All right. All right, dude. Thank you so much, and we will be chatting with you soon. Great. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. You got it. Bye. The world of L.